1: From KQED. If you have a little kid in the Bay Area like I do, you're probably always on the lookout for fun weekend activities. Things that can let the kid burn off some energy without driving you bonkers. And if you live in the East Bay, it would be hard to miss Children's Fairyland, a 10 acre, storybook themed amusement park on Oakland's Lake Merritt. You might have seen the giant rainbow-colored fairyland letters emblazoned on the North Lake Merritt lawn. It's like an Oakland kids' version of the Hollywood sign there's something about the like the font and the big shoe that are really whimsical and just playful. Rose Gelfand went to Children's Fairyland regularly as a kid. She grew up in Richmond but now lives in Portland, Oregon. She says even as a teenager the outside lawn was a destination to meet friends and make art on a picnic blanket. Sort of always had This presence in our lives, even past the point where I was going as a kid, it seems like it has existed outside of the bounds of time. Rose reached out to Bay Curious because she wanted to know the history of this 50s-era amusement park that she considers an iconic East Bay institution. I'm just curious about the stories of the place. Over time, I'm sure it has many. If it has always been this sort of, like, beloved community institution, I'm kind of curious like what their plan is moving into the future and if it will continue to exist as it is. Rose's question was picked by you, our audience, in a public voting round at baycurious.org. So on this episode of Bay Curious, we'll get to know more about this East Bay cultural gem, what it is, how it got started, and how it hopes to evolve to mirror the diverse community it serves. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Our deep dive into the rich history of children's fairyland on Oakland's Lake Merritt starts, of course, with a tour of the theme park. Producer Pauline Bartoloni takes us there.
2: The first thing to know about children's fairyland, it's nothing like Disney. There are no extravagant light shows, no giant castles, and no Donald Duck mascots. Think analog play, like your local public park meets Aesop's Fables, with a sprinkle of surrealism. You want to go in the carousel? My daughter and I spent an afternoon there. She's at a perfect age for this place, three. When you walk into the park, you see a landscape of interactive play installations, all based on popular folktales. First, there's the Three Little Pigs' Houses, then there's Peter Rabbit's Village. Toward the middle of the park, there's an above-ground tunnel, a la Alice in Wonderland. A magic key is essential to the experience. For a few bucks, you can get a colorful plastic key and unlock the story of each scene. All you have to do is stick it into the painted speaker box and listen closely. Almost all of the structures here are smaller than in the real world and are meant to be crawled into or on top of. There are tons of slides and surreal, tiny buildings are scattered all over. All the sets here are definitely kid size. I would have a hard time fitting in the doorway of some of these little crooked houses. Ferris wheel. Okay, let's go there. The Ferris wheel. That seems to be my daughter's favorite. But there are only a few rides here. It's all about being immersed in the tales, like Rapunzel's Castle and ones I've never heard of, like Willie the Whale and Mary Miller's Pond. Everything feels vintage, and that makes sense. Most sets were built in the 1950s and 60s.
4: Fairyland kind of grew like a tree would grow, with different growths making it bigger and bigger.
2: Randall Metz has worked at the park for more than 50 years. He was once the park's artistic director and is now a puppeteer and park historian. He showed me some of the newer areas of the park, like the fairy music farm, where you can make sounds in all sorts of ways.
4: Right over there is a bench in the middle of the garden. That's actually a musical instrument. You could step on it, it would give a different sound.
2: The Wild West Town down the path, that was added later. Walking around the park, you'll notice many of the play areas really could use a coat of paint or even an extra nail. But the veneer of the play areas is not the point, says Metz. It's about the imagination the spaces provoke.
4: Fairyland is a place for kids to lose themselves and to create their own fairy tale fantasies. So we try to give them interactive sets that they
2: can pretend to be characters from that story the old school quality of children's fairyland is part of its charm, he says. The 50 style is quiet
4: and imaginative. And you add the depths and the flavors to whatever set you want to do. We're low tech. We call it kiddie tech. We like to keep it simple and so that uh, things turn and they move for the children, but also they can understand how it happens.
1: Okay, Pauline, so it sounds like there's lots for kids to enjoy at the park today. But what did you find out about how Fairyland came to be in
2: the first place? Yeah, it's an interesting backstory, and I learned a little bit about Oakland history while digging into it. Children's Fairyland was born out of the post-Second World War period in Oakland. Veterans came back from war and were starting families, and they wanted a place to escape, says Metz. At the same time, a landscape architect named William Pedmont Jr. became Oakland Park's director with grand visions for expanding the city's green public spaces.
3: He noticed something that a lot of people have been complaining about for decades, that there weren't that many of them.
2: That's Mitchell Schwarzer, a professor emeritus at California College of the Arts and author of a new book on Oakland history.
3: There were approximately 950 acres of Oakland city parks in 1946, which was really low for a city of Oakland's population and size. But in the 1940s, Mott wanted to build more. And he came up with all these ideas to increase the acreage of the park system.
2: But Schwartzer said people in Oakland didn't wanna pay more taxes for parks. William Penmont Jr. also wanted to create a park for teenagers with a mini train, a boat, and an auto course. But that venture failed.
3: And I think he had a kind of crisis of spirit in the late 40s and thought, well, I've got to go a different direction. What am I going to do? The taxpayers, is mayor. They won't increase revenues to buy parks. Well, I can maybe create parks within parks. If you can't have lots of space, you can create space in people's minds.
2: But the parks director didn't launch Fairyland on his own. He had help from the Lake Merritt Breakfast Club, a civic-minded group of businessmen who were interested in development. Arthur Navlett was one of them.
3: And Arthur Navlett, he went to the Children's Zoo in, in Detroit. And he noticed, wow, the Children's Zoo in Detroit is not like most zoos, which are drab and, you know, gray industrial cages. It's bright colors and it has images From fairy tales, it has a kind of festive environment, and he brought it back to Oakland.
2: Fairyland has endured over the decades, says Schwarzer, because that's the nature of folktales.
3: I think this is one of Oakland's most innovative and lasting contributions to the whole country. And now, Walt Disney will step forward to read the dedication of Disneyland.
2: Fairyland inspired other cities, like Sacramento, to open their own children's storybook parks. Metz says Walt Disney himself visited the park and drew from it when he opened Disneyland in 1955. Welcome.
4: Disneyland is your land.
2: While the Walt Disney Company says there's no concrete evidence of the visit, it's possible.
4: With the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you.
2: But theme park historian Scott Lucas says... The way Fairyland uses stories is pretty distinct from other kid entertainment these days. The Oakland nonprofit fosters play and creativity, while video games and Disney parks, not as much.
4: They're not maybe being used for imagination and development of important skills in, in children, but they're being used as properties, as brands, as commodities.
2: And Fairyland is not trying to sell you something, says Lucas.
4: What is so cool, I think, about using folktales and fairy tales to tell stories is children, parents can fill in the blanks, and get to complete the stories. It's not about something pre-set.
1: Okay, Pauline, so it sounds like Fairyland makes a lot of Oaklanders proud and happy. But our question asker Rose also wanted to know if Fairyland has a dark side if there's any like,
2: yeah, controversy or scandal. I did find a political dust-up during the first two years of the park, for what it's worth. Park historian Randall Metz told me about it.
4: That was very convoluted, that tale.
2: So I'll help keep it short. When the park first opened, the founders wanted to hammer home this idea that fairyland is for small people, including adult little people. So they hired Victor and Edna Wetter as host guides. The Wetters were a married couple who starred as little people in The Wizard of Oz and were not much taller than the kids who visited the park. Uh,
4: The couple would show groups of kids throughout the park and tell them the stories that they were seeing. So they were very interactive with this couple. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, they decided that uh, the job for getting a host guide in Fairyland had to be at a certain height.
2: You had to be of small stature to work as a host at Fairyland. According to city rules, when another employee of Average height contested it, the uproar went all the way up to the mayor's office and the park's director.
4: And the wetters just said, you know, we're not going to be involved with that. So they moved on to something better. And Fairyland uh, took that out of the uh, job description.
1: So that situation with the
2: wetters happened about 70 years ago. How has the park changed in all that time? Well, as you can imagine, the park has changed tremendously. Fairyland is getting ready for its 75th anniversary, and they're doing a big push to diversify the stories told at the park. They want it to reflect more cultures from around the world, and the many cultures represented in Oakland. Right now, park leadership says about 90% of the playsets are based on European tales. Over the years, they've been taking small steps to try to change that. There is a Chinese dragon slide, and the mini Ferris wheel is based on Anansi the Spider, a folktale from Ghana in West Africa. How do you do?
4: My name is Anansi the Spider-Man.
2: The puppet theater, with daily shows like this one, has more international stories from Vietnam, Mexico, and Slavic folklore. Where are you
3: going? I'm going to have my quill sharpened. Be careful, they're still.
2: And walking around the park, you'll notice the skin tone of many of the characters have been painted various shades. Little Miss Muffet and the old woman in the shoe, for example, are painted brown. But park director Kimberly Miller says they want to reflect the diversity of Oakland in more meaningful ways, like by highlighting the stories kids hear in other countries.
1: The park has always tried to be intentional to represent, you know, where it sits in Oakland. I think what we're looking for is a much deeper, wider um, intention now around that, because what it is is if right now is a, is a little bit narrow. Because as I said, the stories that we tell in the park, aren't entirely representative at all.
2: Miller says not only do they want new stories, they want them accessible in more languages.
1: The future looks really bright for us to um, have a couple of more sets and exhibits that are based on different stories. Um, We might, in the future,
2: start thinking about how we can rotate some of these um, exhibits just like a museum might. You hear lots of different languages spoken by families here. Fairyland goer Paula Lopez was here with two of her kids one recent Saturday afternoon. She says it would be great to hear more diverse stories, like from her native Peru. Well, yeah, it's Oakland. I mean, look around. So you definitely you should see folk, old folk tales, South American stories about the jungle and stuff. Like something that you come here like, hey, I grew up listening or reading this story. Lopez says the stories she heard as a kid didn't have happy endings. They're more like cautionary tales. The stories that we grew up was different, like real stuff. And so your kids, they know. They know better not to go with strangers because we told them the story about this, with the real ending. So this is different. It's fairy tale. Lopez says she's still learning the stories here along with her kids. When they see a folktale they don't know, they do their homework. We take a picture and then we go home. And then we research, and then we read at nighttime, which is what we're going to do tonight. Big deal and the nettle. There are quiet places at the park to read up on stories as well. My daughter stumbled upon books at Alice's reading room. Colorful. books. That's a puffin. Puffin? We still play something she started at Fairyland, handing me imaginary tickets. It's an ongoing game for us now, with a different script each time. Having fun? You want the ticket? Oh, a ticket? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I have a key. You or want the, the magic the key? For the ticket. For the
1: ticket. That was reporter Pauline Baraloni. Thanks to Rose for asking her question. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show is produced by Amanda Font, Christopher Beal, and me, Olivia Allen Price. The Bay Curious Book is officially out this week. You can get your copy from local bookshops near you or online. I'll be at a lot of local bookstores around the Bay Area in coming weeks and months to talk about the book, answer your questions, and sign copies. In this next week, I'm going to be at the Bay Area Book Festival on Sunday, May 7th. And then on Wednesday, May 10th, I'll be at Mrs. Dalloway's Bookshop in Berkeley. KQED Forum host Alexis Madrigal is going to join me for that one. So please come out and say hi, because we would both love to meet you. Keep up with the full event schedule for the book tour at kqed.org slash baycuriousbook. Congratulations to our April winner for the Sierra Nevada Trivia Contest, Denise Eldred. Stay tuned to hear our May trivia question and win that super sweet prize back. I'm Olivia Ellen Price. Thanks for listening and have
0: a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Okay, our question for the month is the world's longest running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member